right? If you're teaching, you know, relationship skills, right? How to manage a difficult conversation. So do you want to be able to do that well in a classroom orchestrated setting? Or do you want to be able to do that well in the middle of a fight with your significant other? <laughs> very different levels of skill, this is right? Very Much harder. Very true. Very true. So we start with this at the end, when all said and done, what do we want to be able to do? How well do we want to be able to do it? And under what circumstances? Yeah. Then we backtrack. That skill rests on top of what? In order to be able to do that, they need to know what? And then in order to be able to do that, they need to know what? And you backtrack all the way to the point where you're like, okay, this part, I can count on them knowing it already. And that's your curriculum. That's what you're going to teach. So that's our first step of what is the information we need to give them? How do we give it to them? This episode is powered by the Move to Millions Quick Start Guide. If you've got millions on your mind and you are ready to have millions in your bank account, I want you to go download this brand new guide to tell you exactly what it's going to take for you to make the move in your own business. Go to Move to Millions Quick Start Guide. In today's episode, I had the pleasure to chat with Danny Innie. Okay. Have you ever experienced a person who is grace personified? Now, I know that might sound crazy as I'm talking about a man, but listen to me. Danny is goals. His energy, his confidence, his courage, the eloquence with which he speaks, and his heart for the work that he does is so amazingly inspiring. It was out of this world. And I cannot wait for you to listen. Danny is a leading voice in the world of online business and courses. He has been featured and contributed to publications, including the Harvard Business Review, Entrepreneur, Inc., Forbes, and Business Insider. He's also spoken at places like Yale University and Google, and is the author of books, including Teacher Gift, Leverage Learning, and Effortless. You know what? That's a good word to describe Danny. He shows up, his presence is effortless. What I take from that is that he has gotten really, really clear about who he is and how he contributes to the planet. We talked about all of that and so much more in this powerful interview. We had this powerful conversation that touched on so many different things. We talked a little online courses. We talked a little about your business and your identity as a result of your business. We talked about failure and we talked about ROI, but it was a return on impact, not a return on investment. I'm going to stop right now because I want you to listen and be as inspired as I am right now. Let's jump into my conversation with Danny Any. listening to the Move to Millions podcast with Dr. Darnielle J. Harmon. If you're ready for high-level conversations that position and prepare you to move your company, cash flow and connection to and beyond the million dollar mark, let's get this party started. Hey, Danny, so excited to welcome you to the Move to Millions podcast. How are you today? I'm great. I'm excited to be here and I've been looking forward to our conversation. I have too. It's going to be so good, y'all. Okay. Before I even get myself all excited, Danny, just take a quick moment and tell everybody who you are in your own words. Uh, sure. So uh, super 30,000 feet. I work with coaches, consultants, and expert entrepreneurs. I teach them how to take the knowledge that's in their heads and turn it into something with leverage, like you know, an online course that can help lots of people. I've been doing that for more than a decade now. So I guess I'm like an internet dinosaur. <laughs> no, you're just like fine wine. You're just getting better with time. I love what you just said. And I just love it. You said, take their knowledge and expertise and turn it into something with leverage. 
Oh, I love it. I love leverage because, you know, that's what we do too. We help our clients leverage and scale. But how did you get started at all as an entrepreneur? And then how did you land on helping them leverage their expertise? Sure. So I'll give you the medium length version. You can tell me to hurry up or you can tell me to slow down. Listen, I'm going to be taking notes. And if you say something good, I'm pulling it out. So don't even worry. Perfect. So I've been an entrepreneur, I like to say, for longer than my adult life. I quit school when I was 15 to start my first business. And I bounced around a bunch of different businesses, trying a bunch of different things. And eventually, I found my way to the space of education. I've always had this love-hate relationship with education. I love education and what it can do, the doors it can open, the minds it can open. And I've always had a lot of frustration with the way it is done formally, which basically is not very well in most contexts. We could have a whole conversation on that. We won't, but we could. (laughs) We absolutely could. And I'd be happy to. But so I bounced around a bunch of different businesses. In the mid to late 2000s, I was doing my first attempt at what I thought would be a big startup. So we were building software that would teach kids how to read. And we, you know, I raised some money, friends and family, grants, that kind of stuff. You know, no big numbers by like, you know, Silicon Valley standards, but, you know, we raised a few hundred thousand dollars and I had a small team and, and all that. And we had some really good early traction. The experts loved what we were doing. The kids loved what we were doing. But long story short, I was a very young and very inexperienced CEO in what in hindsight is an incredibly complicated industry. Mm-hmm. And by the time I figured out what was what, it had all like, it was falling apart. We were losing all the money and it was time to make a new plan. So I figured out a new plan. I hit the pavement to raise more money to fund that plan. And that was September of 2008. Mm -hmm. So the markets crashed. It's like game over. You know, there's nothing to be done. Yeah. And I mean, anyone who's listening to this has been through like, you know, a major business setback. You know that especially as an entrepreneur, we put our identities, we put our hearts and souls into our business. And so it's, it's not just the financial fallout, which sucks. I mean, it did suck. I walked away from that. I didn't want to tell uh, my friends and family, sorry, your money's gone. So I took the losses on personally. Mm -hmm. So I walked away from that with about a quarter of a million dollars in personal debt. And that sucked. But beyond that, it's like, it feels a lot like going through a really bad breakup. And when you've gone through a really bad breakup, you're not ready to date again right away. You know, you need some time to lick your wounds. And so I was thinking, well, what can I do to make money? Because I had, you know, rent to pay that wouldn't involve building a giant team or raising money or any of those things. And I thought, well, what if I start a blog? What if I start teaching what I know online, right? I could do that on the side, wouldn't have to hire a team. That was like the the rebound business. Mm -hmm. And one thing led to another, as sometimes it does. And, you know, it was the right idea for the right time for the right market opportunity. And it just took off. So, you know, it grew very quickly. People kind of glommed onto my work. They're like, hey, this is really helpful. It's resonant. And pretty soon people started coming to me and saying, Danny, can you teach me this thing that I'm seeing you do? And being the astute business mind that I am, my answer was, no, that's not what I do. (laughs) But but thankfully they kept coming back. (laughs) They kept coming back. They kept asking. And eventually I was like, okay, tell you what, I didn't think this is what I would be doing, but you know, it'd really be nice to be able to pay rent. So let's try it. And I said, you know, I don't know if people are going to sign up. So you can put down your payments. And if enough people sign up, I'll do it. If not, I'll give you your money back. Mm-hmm. Right? And I'll put this whole thing together after people sign up. And it went gangbusters, right? We sold out in something like 36 hours. That became my first blockbuster program that I sold about a thousand spots in 2012. 
And it led to my next program that I piloted in the same way. And that next program was my first million dollar program. Mm -hmm. And after a couple of these, people kept coming back to me and saying something to the effect of, you know, Danny, I've taken a lot of online courses and I never do anything with them. I never get any results, but I take your online courses and I get results. I implement what you're teaching me. Can you teach me how to build courses like yours? And that was in 2013. And I haven't looked back since. Wow. I love everything about your story. And there's a couple of really powerful things that you said that I just want to pull out for the listeners to make sure that they get it. And the first thing I want to say is I don't know who's listening, who may have the same story where, you know, they quit school and they didn't graduate and they started a business or they had a baby or whatever the scenario was, you know, your past does not define your future. And don't be don't be defined by that because you get to decide as Danny is a perfect example of that. You said, by the time I figured it out, <laughs> like the bottom had fell out, right? It was too late. And so many entrepreneurs, that's the way they work inside of their business. They don't get the help that they need when the writing is on the wall. They wait until the wall's on fire. And so I love that you share that just for me to bring it back as a reminder to everyone who's listening. If you are listening right now and you're already seeing the writing on the wall, that there's something awry in the way you're doing business, your business model, et cetera. Get the support that you need. Even when you can't hire a Darnielle or a Danny, guess what? There's an SBA and there are women's business centers that can support you for your tax dollars that you have already spent or are giving to the IRS. So it doesn't have to cost you anything to get help, to take that writing on the wall and put it on pages so it can turn into checks in your bank account instead of a fire and everything's gone awry. Third thing you said that I loved is you said, I created a new plan. And that stood out um, to me because I feel like I know in my own story, the reason why I ended up in bankruptcy, like I didn't have family members money that I lost. I lost my own money because I never created a plan. I just, oh, I got this. Ego is a trip, right? (laughs) And when you are living in ego, you sometimes think that you are better than you really are. And once I got out of bankruptcy, I had to end up humbling myself and going back to work. While I was working that job, I created my first strategic plan and we had a million dollar company not too long thereafter. So I thought that was good. I loved how, and I want to come back and talk about this a little bit more about putting our identities in our business. Like, why do we do that? So I want to talk about that. But before we talk about that, I want to talk about the biggest nugget that you just dropped. You probably don't even realize it because it was just your life, but I want the people who are listening to hear this. Danny said that he sold it before he created it. There are so many of you who, and I I can be victim of this too, Danny. When I first started my company back in 2007, I spent nine months creating the stuff. And when I finally came out into the marketplace, no one wanted what I had spent all my time creating. And so then very very soon thereafter, I did the same thing you did. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to talk about it. And if enough people want it, then I'll create it. But I wanted to make sure that you guys heard that because some of you right now aren't moving. You're not building out the next launch because you think it has to all be done before you get people to invest in it. That is not the truth. Danny right here is an example. I'm an example. So create enough information about it to be able to explain the problem it will solve and the solution it will create and determine the price point based on the value associated with it and put it out to people and see who bites. For enough people who have the problem, you'll get the ammunition you need to actually create it. I'm literally doing this right now, Danny. I, um, I, I used to, for three, three years in a row, I taught this live event 
And after the last time it was right before COVID happened, I was like, you know, I think I want to turn this into a course so I can serve more people, right? I can leverage my expertise and serve more people. And I never did it. And like, like ever since I've been like, I need to turn this into a course. I need to turn this into a course. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was like, you know what? I'm finally do it. And so I have a Google Doc. I have never launched Danny with a Google Doc before in my life. I'm the girl who has all of the I's dotted and all the T's crossed, right? So I put this Google Doc together and put it out there. I had, I said, I have 10 seats because I just want to get the course created. I sold 15, like $45,000, just like that. Beautiful. It's, nothing is done yet. We start today. Like at the time of this recording, we're about to start actually putting the course together. So I wanted to drop that nugget for those of you who are listening, because you're sitting on the idea, waiting for the stars to align. And right now you're not only leaving money on the table, but you're leaving impact on the table. There are people right now who need you that as soon as you tell them that you can solve their problem, they will start to to live into the hope of what's possible for them when you show up fully for them. So I wanted to share that. Can I I build on that for a second? Absolutely. So- you know, I agree with you 100%. This is the methodology that we teach. I mean, among other things, right? You always want to sell it before you build it. And there is the execution gap. There is the, you know, otherwise you'll sit on your hands forever. But the most important reason why it's so, so, so important to do this is that, you know, whenever you are working in your business in terms of having an offer to put out into the world, you're doing one of two things. You're figuring out what the market wants, or you are scaling the demand for an offer you already have. Until people have already given you money for it, don't kid yourself. You are still validating whether the market wants it, right? And so putting a lot of effort into let's finalize, let's polish, let's lock this in stone tablets on something that you don't even know that this is what they want. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, absolutely. And what I love about when you do it as a beta or a lot, however you do it, you get feedback to make it better before you Bingo. make it available for the world. Like I said, 10 people, I have 15. They're basically helping me create this as a course. They're going to give me feedback. They're going to tell me what they want. I'm going to create it. So when we actually launch it later this year, it's going to be exactly what the marketplace actually needs for it to be, which I think is such a powerful, powerful lesson. I want to go back to the comment that you made. We all do it. I know I've done it myself where we, our identity becomes our business. Like, where does that come from? Where did that come from for you? I I should preface this by saying that I'm not a mental health professional, but (laughs) with that being said, when I compare my experience with the experience of people that I've observed who have like, you know, real jobs, um, you know, they have a path that is structured to get there, right? You go to school for a certain topic. There's a path that you're following. Entrepreneurs don't have that. You're making it up as you go. Yeah. They go to a job generally. I mean, the last couple of years with COVID was a little different, but there's still, there's a, there's a generally like a go somewhere, clock in, do the work, clock out, come home. And so your identity as the doctor, lawyer, accountant, what, whatever the job is, mm-hmm. is confined in space and time to some degree. Again, entrepreneurs don't have that. And so because of the fact that there isn't a path that makes you an entrepreneur and sets the expectations, there isn't a place that you go and a time in which you go there to be the entrepreneur. And because being an entrepreneur is largely like figuring things out, right? Like that's the number one item on your job description is figure things out when the last thing you thought you figured out didn't work. That's what it is to be an entrepreneur. And especially in the early days when the number of things you have not yet figured out is dramatically larger than the number of things you have figured out, maybe there's nothing on that second list. 
right? It's just very all encompassing, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I'm thinking about myself now. I, I have a wife, I have children. I don't know if I could start a business in the way that I did it when I started this business and I was single and had no kids, right? Like the hours, they just creep. And so, you know, in a lot of ways, you look at yourself as an entrepreneur and then there's almost nothing left. You're working out, you're showering, you're thinking about your business. You're awake, you're thinking about your business, working on your business. Like it's just, it it eats up all of who you are. And, you know, there are arguments for why that is necessary, maybe even good. There are also arguments for why it's maybe not so healthy and better to draw some boundaries. But either way, that is the experience that a lot of entrepreneurs have. Yeah. And I agree. I wanted to hear it from your perspective because I totally agree. Like I remember when I, I think I would say exactly the same thing. If I were starting my business now, I would be in trouble because when I first started, it was all encompassing and it was my identity. I used to call myself a one trick pony. The only thing that I had was success in business and nothing else. I couldn't, you know, I used to say, I don't say it anymore because I am married and but I used to say, I can't keep a man to save my life, but I can grow a business. <laughs> like That was like totally my life. And there was so many times when even when I was like dating and then it didn't work out, I would just put my head down and go back to my business because that was the thing I knew I could do well. And so I feel like in addition to everything that you said, I think it happens so often is because we can actually see tangible results. Like even if we don't, you know, if we if our mile marker is okay, today I'm starting at zero and I want to get to seven figures, right? Even if we're not at seven figures, we can see the incremental steps that we've taken, right? We put something on social media, if that's our marketing barometer and we get likes or someone slides in our DMs or someone goes and buys the thing, right? We can say, oh my gosh, it worked. Whereas with the other things in life, oftentimes it might not translate the same exact way. I know- For me, like I felt like everything was riding on my ability to be successful because I quit my good job to become an entrepreneur, right? I was making $120,000 a year. I mean, by all accounts at 28 years old, I had it going on. And then I came out to be an entrepreneur. And at first I did really well. I was in Mary Kay Cosmetics, but once I started my own ground up business, like the hell fell out, like bankruptcy, going back to work and like, not telling the online world I had a job. Like it was, I was in the least amount of integrity I've ever been in my life when I first started my business, because I was so ashamed of the fact that I'm the girl who can help you do all of these things. And I couldn't do it for myself. And so even as that identity was in my business, it was like, it was still bad. Like, and I had to seek a mental health professional (laughs) because it was, it was, I had to figure out how to draw the line and create some of those boundaries myself. I don't know about you, if this is your story, but My issues with boundaries weren't other people. They were all self-imposed. It was because I was putting all of my energy into this one thing instead of making sure that I had a life that was full of other things. And then you you eventually, yeah, you eventually look up like one of my good girlfriends at the time, I was like 37, I think she's like, um, excuse me, (laughs) you need to look up. Don't you want to get married and have babies? Like you need to start thinking about that. You got it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I do want those things, but my business is finally taking off. It's so easy to get caught up in that. So with the the people that you work with today, I'm helping them to get the leverage in their knowledge and expertise through the power of online courses. I don't want you to necessarily share your complete secret sauce, but you said, and I wrote it down, that your clients were like, wait a minute, I'm taking all these other courses. I'm not getting any results, but then I'm taking yours and I actually am getting results. So What can you share for people who might be listening that 
have their own course or desire to create one about some of that secret sauce that's actually helping your clients get results from courses? Yeah, so I'm, I'm happy to share. I'm an open book. I don't believe in secrets. I think it's not about the secret. It's about the quality of the execution. Oh, it's so good. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So if you want someone to experience a transformation, you want them to, I mean, what is education? Let's be like 30,000 feet. What is education for? Education should be a shortcut. It should get you to where you want to go in less time at less cost or with less risk, Mm -hmm. right? If it's not doing any of those things then you know, what the hell is the point? You could just figure it out on your own. So education is supposed to be a shortcut. Mm -hmm. Now, how do we make that happen? There are three steps in the journey of learning. The first step is where we get exposed to new information, new ideas, right? We watch the videos, listen to the audio, read the text, attend the lecture, et cetera. And that's a really important first step, but it's only the first step. But let's talk about that first step. Let's talk about how we craft it well. There is a key ingredient to making that work that people usually discount. And that ingredient is scaffolding. Scaffolding is basically the idea that any new idea that you learn is built on top of things you already know and understand, right? And often experts forget about all the scaffolding that is supporting their knowledge and making it feel so, yeah, of course, this is obvious. It's so easy, right? People are not understanding the explanation of the expert, not because they can't wrap their head around the explanation, but because all the scaffolding that that explanation is resting on doesn't exist for them. Oh, that's so good. And scaffolding can be conceptual. Like, you know, I'm building on concepts that you don't know what they are. They can be in terms of the metaphors or analogies that I'm using. They can be in terms of relevance, like, wait, what does this have to do with me and my life? Mm-hmm. Right. They can be cognitive. People learn and think in different ways. Right. So you want to think about, you know, this is the thing I want people to know and understand and be able to do. That's a really key thing. People don't usually pay significant amounts of money just to know things. They pay to be able to do things right. to create an outcome. So when all is said and done, what do I want them to be able to do? And let's go two layers deeper. We're not just going just to ask, what do I want them to be able to do? We also want to ask how well Do I want them to be able to do it? Because if you tell me, Danny, can you, can you explain the story of Hamlet? Right. I mean, if you want it in like 30 seconds, yeah, it's the Lion King with people, right? Like that's easy. If you want it with more detail, I don't know if I'm qualified to explain it. If you want me to teach you how to recite it, I'm definitely not the person. (laughs) Right. Right. And so how well you want to be able to do it matters. Mm -hmm. And then we also want to know under what circumstances do you want to be able to do it that well? Right. If you're teaching, you know, relationship skills right? How to manage a difficult conversation. So do you want to be able to do that well in a classroom orchestrated setting? Or do you want to be able to do that well in the middle of a fight with your significant other? Mm-hmm. Very different levels of skill, this is right? Very, Much harder. This is very true. Very true. So we start with this at the end, when all said and done, what do we want to be able to do? How well do we want to be able to do it? And under what circumstances? Yeah. Then we backtrack. That skill rests on top of what? In order to be able to do that, they need to know what? And then in order to be able to do that, they need to know what? And you backtrack all the way to the point where you're like, okay, this part, I can count on them knowing it already. And that's your curriculum. That's what you're going to teach. So that's our first step of what is the information we need to give them? How do we give it to them? Okay. Before we move on to the second step, I, I love everything that you shared. And it made me think about the Stephen Coveyism, begin with the end in mind, right? Mm-hmm. So know clearly what you want them to do, how well you want them to be able to do it and what the variables are going to be to get them to that point before you even start creating. Okay. That's good. Okay. The second Absolutely. Step. So you explain the stuff now, you know, as a smart human being who has had things explained to her in your life, do you get good at things just by it having it explained to you? 
It's like, of course not. No. <laughs> right. We don't get good right. at things by reading books or watching videos. Right. We get good at things by putting these new ideas into practice. Into so that's the yeah. second step application. Yeah. And so application can be theoretical, right? You know, exercises, worksheets, et cetera, or it can be practical. Go out and do this thing in your business, you know, have this conversation with your significant other, et cetera. Right. But we need to orchestrate opportunities for people to apply what we are teaching them. Yeah. And then the third step is the feedback that allows them to course correct and integrate that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And you're always going to get feedback, but feedback can be very brute force and removed from the moment of practice, right? You know, if I'm learning skateboarding, I can get feedback from the concrete and gravity, mm-hmm. but that's not very nuanced. That's kind of binary. It worked or it hurt, right? <laughs> right? Or you can have a coach who's like, okay, here, I want you to pay attention to the way you're putting your weight here. And I want you to pay attention to what you're doing there. And the more immediate the feedback is, the more nuanced, the more specific, the better that guidance, the more you can loop back. You have that feedback loop to go back to application again, but do it better, mm-hmm. right? And there's this great book called The Talent Code. Mm-hmm. And it talks all about how do we get really good at something? It's based on the work of Dr. K. Anders Erickson, who recently passed away, his mm-hmm. work on deliberate practice. Okay. But if you want to get really good at something, you pick the hardest part of it for you and you practice it again and again and again and again with the feedback to improve each time. Mm-hmm. And it is frustrating to do that, right? You know, if you're if you're learning to play the piano, what a lot of people like to do is sit down at the piano, you know, practice some scales to warm up their fingers, play some songs that they're good at, have some fun. And in the last 10 minutes, they'll practice the song that is really hard for them. Right. Right. An expert pianist will spend the entire hour practicing the 10 seconds of that hard song that are the hardest for them. Mm-hmm. But that's how you get really good. That's called deliberate yeah. practice. That's good. I love that. Okay. Let me just pull back the layer again and rem- Tell everybody the three steps one more time. So the first step is to expose them to new ideas and not to just expose them to new ideas, but more importantly, to think through, to back into the ultimate goal and result that you desire for them as they learn these new skills. Second step is to actually put it into application, have them take the time and do the thing or the things that are going to lead them to the result that it is that they most want. And then the the third part, which is centrifugal to the process, if you ask me, is the feedback. So as they're taking the steps and taking the action, be there to offer as immediate feedback as you possibly can, giving them the opportunity to redo, retry, reapply, whatever it is that the feedback is helping to give them something that's going to lead to a better result when it's all said and done. So good. And you know what's what's interesting about this, Danny? And this happens to me a lot. Now, I will tell you that, I mean, I am brilliant. I'm not going to not give myself my props. And I'm not, although I, you know, I've been to school, have some degrees and blah, blah, blah. Like for the things of online business, most of that I'm self-taught or, you know, I read books or I practice or it was just innate in me. So here's my whole point. The way that I build out my content is very much like the process that you described, but I never sat in any class to tell me, begin with the end in mind and make sure that they, you know, I never did that, but that's just the way my brain works. It's like when I went to a speaking seminar many, many years ago about telling story and I'm listening to the teacher. I'm like, oh, I do that. I do that naturally. Like, they were saying, which is like an adage today, you know, never make a point without telling a story, never tell a story without making a point. And I'm like, I always find a little parallel. And I'm like, oh, I just know these things innately. I share that to say that this process, it definitely makes a difference. And we have the same thing occur with our coursework as well. Now, you know, we are very big into making sure that we can be present for our clients and our students as they're working through it because of the feedback. That's such an important part. 
which is also, I think, part of the reason why people who just create courses for creating courses don't actually create transformation in the lives of other people. I love you said that was one of the first things you said. I wrote it down. If you want someone to experience transformation, you've got to think it all the way through. And I feel like often the person who just throws the low ticket course up without any of that feedback or interaction isn't really trying to get a transformation to occur because it's very hard to be taught something and to then to become a master of it, which I think is really, really good. I love that. I love it. It's so simple. And I can see just one of the things I think I love about you. I, first of all, I love your energy. It's this quiet confidence. It's this firm assurance that who you are today, having been through everything that you've been through, is exactly who you're supposed to be. I love that. And I don't know if anybody else has ever told you that, but that's why I couldn't wait to talk to you. I was like, oh, I remember having this conversation with Danny and I just I just remember your presence and the energy with which you exude this confidence about being who you are today. So I, I love that. How did it happen for you? Like, I'm sure it probably wasn't one specific thing that took place, but how did you get to be this man that I get to talk to today, having come from that chaotic beginning before? Well, first of all, thank you. I appreciate all of that. And, you know, it's the combination of 38 years worth of experiences and stumbles and, you know, hopefully learning from the stumbles. Mm-hmm. I don't think over the years I've made less mistakes than most people. I've probably made more, but I make mistakes quickly and I try not to make the same mistake too many times. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you move on to new mistakes and you figure out things that work along the way. But, you know, the more you keep at it, the more you just dig in on what are the things that actually matter for you? Mm-hmm right? Other stuff starts to fall away and you start finding that core. You start finding that center of like, this is the stuff that matters. And this is the stuff that, yeah, I just don't care about it as much. I mean, you know, I'm, so I'm 38. This is the oldest I've ever been. I think, <laughs> right. I'm going to start right? saying that. This is the oldest <laughs> I've ever been. <laughs> and, you know, there are a lot of things that I was, you know, insecure about or not sure of, or, and, and it's not like those things have changed. I just don't care as yeah. much anymore. That's, that's really what it is. Yeah. And I find that the closer you get to 40, you'll have to tell me if this is true for you. I started to feel that way in my late thirties and I'm 45. And so um, once I turned 40, I feel, I felt like, I don't know, the heavens open. Like I liken it, you know, I'm a believer. So I liken it to the children of Israel and how they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And so I turned 40 and I felt like I finally made it to the promised land. Like I knew who I was. I knew I knew the core of who I am. I was no longer trying to compare myself to other people or thinking that there was something wrong with me, something that wasn't inherently valuable to other people. And it felt like it happened like a light switch, although it was it was the gradual, perpetual everything that had been my life experience up until that point. So I totally get that. What I heard as you were talking is that you've learned how to give yourself grace Like, and that is such a valuable lesson to learn as an entrepreneur, regardless of where you are on the move to millions, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're just starting, you're just about there, opening up a space for there to be grace in your life experience for you, for your team, because, and you tell me if this is different for you, but I feel like I used to be in a hurry to get nowhere, And when I started to settle into the fact that no one goes to bed a blunder and wakes up a wonder, like everyone's on a journey, it just got so much easier that what 
would have taken me forever to make happen started to happen so seamlessly because I was in alignment with who I am and focused on those core things that really matter, which at the end of the day, a lot of the things, like you said, that we tend to deal with or even think about don't even matter in the grand scheme of things. No, I agree with that completely. And, you know, it's there's the grace to it. There's also the you learn to hopefully you learn to take yourself less seriously and to just have more fun with it. Because and, you know, I remember those days. I remember when I was, you know, I was hardly making any money and I'm like, how am I going to pay rent? There is an urgency to that. Mm -hmm. But along with that urgency, there's also this imagining that once you cross the six or seven figure threshold, you know, oh, the everything, all the problems go away and they don't, right? You know, more uh, of them come just so we're clear. More of them come. was right. More money, more problems. Like I remember the first time that we had like a major issue that I needed to deal with. And it was like the first time that the scale of the business was such that like, I can't put this on a credit card. Like there's there's just no way. I mean, we're just way too big. The number is too enormous, right? So the problems keep evolving and changing and that's fine. You know, that good challenges, it keeps you on your toes, but you want to have fun with it. And there's this reciprocal relationship, you know, when you're having more fun with it, you're more relaxed. Your sympathetic nervous system isn't activate all the time. You're not full of adrenaline and cortisol. Your field of vision is not narrower. You see the field better. You have better ideas. You make better decisions. Like there's a, a reciprocal cycle there, but you know, fundamentally there will be good times and there will be more challenging times. Mm-hmm. And you know, you might as well have fun through all of it. There's this great line that I've been thinking about a lot lately from Walt Disney. And he said, you know, we don't make movies to make money. We make money to make movies, mm-hmm. right? So I've been very in that headspace. Lately. Like, you know, we've got to run a good business. We've got to keep growing because we want to, but you know, let's have fun with what we're doing. Let's not stress about it too much. Yeah, I think that's so important. I think so many people put so much emphasis on money. Like even when we, you know, started moving into this whole move to millions thing, like for me, it's a double entendre. So it's not just the money, right? It's the impact, being able to shift the lives and trajectory of more people because you are showing up much more powerfully, right? And I think so many people get caught up in just the money side of it. And because of that, they miss the magic that comes in what we're creating, right? Like I literally, before I jumped on to have this conversation with you, I was meeting with my brand manager. We're in a rebrand and this rebrand It's amazing. I'm so excited and pleased about what we're accomplishing, but it's going on forever. And there was a point in time where, you know, we were supposed to be wrapping up now. We're not anywhere near wrapping up. And I just literally had to surrender. I had to throw my hands up and say, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy the process because if I try to will this to be something else, it's only going to get harder. Like, I know you guys won't be able to see me, but one of the things that I will often do to create a demonstration for other people is I'll ball my hand into a tight fist. And then I'll take the finger from my opposite hand and try to force it into the fist. When this is control and when you're in control, abundance can't get in. Grace can't get in. All of the things that we say we want can't get in when we're in control. And what we have to learn to do is surrender. Focus on what we can control and leave the rest, right? To God, to the universe, whatever your beliefs are, because there is something that is greater than all of us that is at play. And once we get comfortable with who we are and who we were created to be, we really get that opportunity to just open our hands and be in that place of surrender, which I think makes a difference too. I think about the courses that you create and the lives that you've changed in this multiple million dollar business that you run and 
you said something a minute ago that I wanted to have you just expound on a little bit for some of the people. You said none of those things really matter at the end of the day. So for you at this stage of your life, having, you know, been there, done that, gotten the T-shirt, probably on your way to nine figures, right? Like what matters most to you right now? At some point, the figures don't matter as much. I had this really visceral moment in, I don't know, I was like a few years into building my business. We were like, you know, low seven figures at the time. And it was December. So it's like, you know, you're doing your end of year planning and what do I want for the next year. And, you know, I realized that if I wanted, I could scale back what we were doing. You know, we could do like, you know, low seven figures, top line, high six figures, bottom line. I could work three months out of the year. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, but I'm in my early thirties. Like, what am I going to do? That sounds so boring. (laughs) So, you know, at some point it's about really is like you said, it's about the impact you're making on other people. And it's about the fulfillment of the work for yourself. You know, I enjoy pushing the envelope on, you know, what can we do that will be interesting, Mm -hmm. right? And not all of it works, right? But a lot of it works. Some of it works. And we get to do interesting things. You know, I wrote a children's book. I've written a lot of, I used to say adult books, but that makes it sound like <laughs> like it's just grown-up books, books right. for, for grown-ups. Yeah, I've written a lot of books. We've launched a podcast network that we're doing really interesting things with, and I'm really excited about. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. about your podcast too. I had a great time in my interview. It was really good. Oh, I can't wait for that episode to be released. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. But like we're doing all this stuff and, you know, will there be an ROI on everything we're doing with, for example, the podcast network? I think so. Mm -hmm. Eventually. Yeah. That's not the impetus, right? But even if not, you know, at least we tried something interesting. You try 10 interesting things that you feel confident will likely have a good ROI. Then the three or four of them that will crap out, you'll still have learned along the way and had fun with. And on balance, it works out well. So, you know, it comes down to, are you making a difference for other people? Are you continuing to stretch and do interesting work? You know, again, Mm -hmm. making money to make movies and not making movies to make money. And, you know, a lot of it is how you show up for yourself and for the people around you. You know, I'm, you know, I have two children. My daughter is six and my son is going to be five in, in like a month. You know, a lot gets filtered through, you know, am I able to be there for them in the way that I want to? And, you know, am I, modeling the example that I want them to be learning from, right? Not that they, that they need to do what I do, you know, as long as they're healthy and happy, that's good. But are they taking ownership for their decisions? Are they being autonomous? Are they taking initiative? Are they, yeah. you know, am I raising them to be their own people who are self-possessed in the way that, that I know that they can be, right? That, yeah. that matters a lot. And I love that you're thinking about this at their ages of six and five, right? You know, because there's all of the studies that have been done about who we are, who we become is formed by the time we're seven. And so telling them now that they can choose and they can make decisions is going to help them to be much stronger adults. They may not need mental health support when they get older because of the way that you're raising them today. So kudos to you for that. As you were talking about realizing that the focus has changed, right? And thinking about ROI, what popped in for me was the I becomes return on impact instead of return on investment. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to do that, right? I think about that Zig Ziglar, right? If you help enough people get what they want, you're going to get what you want. And so it's okay. And I know it sounds counterproductive, but it's okay to not only be focused on the money in your business. I think it's the thing that we pay attention to, especially when we don't have a lot of it, right? 
But it's okay to focus on some of the other metrics that are equally as important and that are going to give you that grace that we've been talking about, which I think is good. There's a distinction there that's really important, right? Like you can never neglect the money part of your business. Right. Right. But as long as you're keeping an eye on it, it's like money is like money in your business is like blood in your body, mm. right? You're not alive if you don't have it. Right. But you don't need to always be focused on what's happening with my blood. What's happening with my blood? What's happening with my breathing? Right. As long as you are attentive to your health, you can focus on lots of other things too. And the point of living is not to make sure there's blood in your veins and air in your lungs. Right. You have air in your lungs and blood in your veins. So you can do whatever else is meaningful to you. Yeah. That's so. Danny, I love your metaphors and analogies. That is so good. Money in your business is like blood in your body. And no one walks around saying, do I got blood? Do I have blood? That would sound crazy if you walked up to someone and say, hey, can you see if I have some blood? That is so true. And it, it puts everything into perspective that I think, you know, one of the biggest things that I think I've learned as I've taken my business over the million dollar mark and we're now preparing to go to eight figures is that, it's really just an energy in a vehicle and it's and the energy in the vehicle is so that I can help my team have, you know, be able to pro- provide for their families. And so that I can do the work I want to do in the community. Like I love giving money away. Like that's <laughs> one of my favorite things to do is be like, Oh, we had this huge loss. Oh, let me cut a check. Like just constantly giving to other people and not just hoarding. Cause once you have the house and the car and the vacation home and like you got to do something else with the money, right? It at gets some point, old. it's enough. Like, yeah. What do you, at some you know, point, at it's some enough. Point you're, you're done. What do you need? Like seven more like golden Rolls Royce? <laughs> like enough. Yeah, definitely not. This has been such a powerful conversation. So we only talked a smidge about online courses, but I know that that's your world. And we're going to make sure we put your information in the show notes in case anyone wants to reach out and learn more about your work. But is there anything else that you want to share before we call it an interview? I would just say, you know, for everyone who's listening to this, presumably you're following Darnielle because there is something in you that can make a difference for other people. And you wanted to make that difference for them in a way that is sustainable and sustainable means rewarding for you, right? There's that cycle of, of everyone benefiting, right? If there is that thing inside of you, have the courage and take the responsibility of getting it to all the people who need it, right? When you have something who can help other people and you keep it to yourself, like, you know, the world is missing something when you do that. So have the courage because it can be scary and have the fortitude because it can be challenging and there will be setbacks. But there are so many good reasons for the great things in you to get to all the people who need it. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Okay. Before I let you go, I have to ask you our move to millions moment questions. So what is the last book you read? The finished reading or in the middle of reading? Or either. (laughs) A book called Endure. I do not remember the name of the author and I feel bad about that, but it's study of the science of physical endurance. But I found it has a lot of really interesting applications to mental endurance. And the idea that how tired we feel is, it's not really about our ability to keep going, but it's about our brain's interpretation of signals about so in other words, basically there, when you think you're, you're at the end of your ability, you're not, there's room for more. And I found that really interesting. I like that. And I'll look up the title given that additional information. And then you shared the one quote, and I just want to see if there's another quote that you like live by at this stage of the game for you that really helps you to be inspired and that you would often share with other people in addition to the Walt Disney. I mean, there are lots like, you know, there's quotes for every moment, but the one that's really been top of mind for me lately is the Disney quote. 
we don't make movies to make money. We make money to make movies. Yeah. Okay, good. I, w- I will use that. I love that one, but I didn't want to just assume that that would be the one you want us to use. And then what is one tool you swear by that has made a difference as you moved to the million dollar mark? So as I moved the million dollar mark quite a long time ago, and so I'm not remembering <laughs> exactly what the tools were that I was using, but over the last few years, the tool that has been incredibly impactful and just like, you know, indispensable is a few years ago, I started going for a morning walk. Hmm. Um, In the last three years, I don't think I've missed more than maybe three days. And I get up before everyone else. I I take a shower, do my stuff, go for a walk. If the weather is really awful, it'll be a 20 minute walk. Most days it'll be like a 45 minute walk Mm -hmm. and it's time to center myself. It's, you know, often I'm listening to a podcast or an ebook. Sometimes I'm just walking, sometimes music, but like, honestly, the the day is not the same. The quality of my decisions are not the same Mm -hmm. without that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we all have the same 24 hours. So, you know, the output, the results we produce are much less a function of the work we can do and much more Mm -hmm. a function of the quality of the decisions that we make. So good. And I love that. I love that your tool wasn't a software. (laughs) And I leave it that way on purpose because I just want to see what people say, but I love that. And I think it's so important to take that time for you. Again, it goes back to that grace that exudes that it's like coming out of your pores right now, Danny. And I feel like if you were sitting right here, I would feel it even stronger than I do right now, which I just think is awesome. I think that you have a beautiful soul. And I know it might sound crazy because I'm talking to a guy, but I do. I think you have a beautiful soul. I'm so glad that we're connected and I'm looking forward to continuing to deepen our connection, because I think that the work that you do and how you show up in the world, it is so needed. And I'm just so glad to say that I know who you are. Well, likewise, it's been a pleasure getting to know you. I'm looking forward to continuing to get to know you and, you know, like attracts like. So I know that everyone who's listening to this is going to be just absolutely awesome. So I hope this has been helpful and valuable. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. I know I didn't disappoint you. Are you like beaming right now? Just like I am? Every time I listen back to this conversation, it just inspires me so deeply. I know I told you that you were going to love Danny, and I hope that I did not disappoint you. If you enjoyed our conversation and you want to connect with him directly, you want to make sure that you check out the show notes. There will have a link to all of his information so that you can just get in his sphere. He's such a powerful force. I'm so happy to have met him and to be deepening and connecting more deeply with him because. Yeah, just phenomenal. Let's talk about some of my favorite parts of the conversation that we just had. It was so powerful. First of all, I love this story, right? Quit school at 15. Today runs a multiple, multiple seven-figure business. And it's just proof to show that where you start has nothing to do with where you're going, right? I loved when he talked about the fact that it all started to change for him when he created the plan, The planning process on the move to millions is absolutely essential. And I don't want you to neglect it. He said, you talked about identity and business, right? And how he's done it, how I've done it, how you've probably done it and things that we need to do instead. I loved when he shared that if you want someone to experience transformation, there's a different way that you have to look at how you support him. And then we went through those three steps. You might want to listen back again to catch all of those. And then... He said this, which is which is what I I love because you guys know I love talking about money. I love it. I know it's not the end all be all, but I like talking about it because it creates a disruption for most entrepreneurs who struggle with money that are so inundated and caught up with it that they can't see it for what it really is. He says, 
You can never neglect the money part of your business, but money in your business is like blood in your body. And no one walks around talking about the blood. So right now, depending upon where you are on the move to millions, right? Whether you're at leverage, which is when you're at six figures a year, or if you're at growth, when you're at six figures a quarter, or if you are at scale, when you're doing six figures or more a month, depending upon where you are, that's going to determine the emphasis you place on money. Because you will get to the point where you have the things and now it's about the impact, the return on impact instead of the return on investment. I love the quote that he shared uh, from Disney. We don't make movies to make money. We make money to make movies. I love that. And I love it for you because I want you to not focus on the money, right? If you chase money, you'll never catch it. But if you chase purpose and impact, money will chase you. That's what I want to leave you with today. I'll see you guys next time. Take care. Thank you for joining me for the Move to Millions podcast. The way I see it, you deserve a business that generates millions. If you're ready to get started, grab our Move to Millions Quick Start Guide and join our online community at movetomillionsgroup.com. If you enjoyed our time together, do yourself a favor, head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Until next time, remember, millions are your birthright. And to access them, all you have to do is move. I'll see you next time. Take care.